2,000 years ago a man made his story he lived without committing sin still they nailed him to a tree wounded for transgressions bruised for iniquity do you really know what happened at this place called Calvary? At Calvary, my sins were erased. At Calvary, Jesus took my place at Calvary there is amazing grace I thank God for this place called Calvary The preaching of the cross is little heard today. Oh, but I am not ashamed of it, for this cross has power to save. Sin will leave you empty marred by guilt and shame oh but there is hope in jesus cleansing blood flows through his veins and at calvary my sins were took my place at Calvary there is amazing grace I thank God for this place called Calvary at Calvary Jesus took our place and at Calvary at Calvary there is amazing grace oh I thank God for this place called Calvary
Good job. Well, we had a wonderful men's meeting last night. Uh, it was the last one of the season. We take a spring and summer break, and then we come back to men's and ladies' meetings in the fall and winter. Ladies used to have another one, I think. But uh, Brother Aaron's done a great job leading these, uh, these dinners and these men's groups, and we had a really good devotion last night. Brother Bart did a good job. We were fed well uh, from God's Word, and the meal was excellent. You guys that missed the meal, hey, you missed it. Sorry, uh, but it was wonderful. I, I didn't see many leftovers. We had a good group of men last night, a real full house, so that was a blessing. So again, we start back up, I think, um, September, I think it is. So any questions about that, see Brother Aaron. And uh, as far as the shirts, he had a challenge that uh, there were shirts or uh, if you were faithful to all the uh, men's meetings and uh, see Aaron, if you weren't there last night. Yes, sir. 18, man. Amen. That's great. Is it possible if uh, they could make everyone that if they wanted to buy a shirt, they could see you or? Okay, so if you went to most of them, but you weren't there for all of them, you didn't win one, if you'd like to have one, did it have a church logo on it? And, yeah, see Aaron, okay, because I know it'll be sharp, it'll look good, but real good men's meetings this, uh, this season. Thank you so much, Aaron, and all you ladies for your cooks, your cooking. It was just fantastic. Great, uh, great fare, great cuisine each and every time, so thank you so much. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, the Lord has impressed me to, to preach not just this message, but a few messages, I believe, over the next few weeks on spiritual warfare. Um, it is important for us to understand that we are in a, in a war, we're in a battle, and uh, we're to understand that conflict and uh, fight back darkness as individual Christians and as a church. And I believe, I don't know which the next one will be. This is the first of maybe two or three. But today I want to talk to you about onward always warfare. You know, the scripture tells us that you and I are soldiers of the Lord. And um, I, I want us to understand as, a, as Christians individually and as a church body, we're going to engage in spiritual warfare throughout our journey, our earthly journey. And today I'd like to bring some thoughts along spiritual warfare's challenge. There's a challenge that we have from these scriptures today uh, regarding uh, the body of Christ. Now, it's interesting that on Wednesday nights the Lord led me to go to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and we've been looking at the church as a team, as a unified body of believers. Last night, Brother Bart, uh, he brought a devotion on teamwork, working together as a body of Christ. And here this morning, we have to see this again. And I think the Lord's trying to speak to us as a church on the importance of unity, of, uh, of uh, being a team, of uh, being on the same page, amen, going in the same direction, and so forth. But this has to do with our spiritual battles in life. So let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 6, very familiar text regarding this, I'm sure for most, if not all of you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now again, I'm not going to deal with the armor that's mentioned here in Scripture today. I may in another sermon. But today I want us to look at the fact that we are always in spiritual warfare. There's always spiritual conflict, things that you and I do not see with the, with the eye. Uh, it's a spiritual world. It's a spiritual warfare that I want to talk about today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll get into these thoughts today. Father, thank you for your word, how it's settled on high. We thank you for a preserved book. We thank you for our Bible today that we can trust. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to um, understand, Lord, how serious a matter Spiritual warfare is for us individually and corporately as a church body. Lord, we know that the enemy hath but a short time. And he's working overtime, Lord, with him and his devils to, to try to wreak havoc in the body of Christ, trying to cause disunity and disharmony. Lord, this body of believers, we want to go forward with you. We want to accomplish many great things for now and for the future of this ministry. Lord, you told us to occupy till you come. We looked to that. We sang about it today. The choir did. But Lord, while we're here, while we're on this earth, help us to be faithful to fight the good fight of faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, the church, again, there's some practical lessons I'd like for us to go to in this matter of spiritual warfare. In our position as spiritual soldiers in the army of God. The first thing I want to deal with today is in spiritual war, there must be, there has to be. It's imperative that there be unity. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, we read, Finally, brethren, he's talking to the church. He's talking to brethren in Christ. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We don't win spiritual battles in our flesh, in our power, in our ability. Our strength comes from the Lord. Amen? And uh, we, we are the brethren mentioned here. There's uh, the rules of engagement for war. There's warnings of warfare throughout the scripture. It's given to the saints. We understand that today. Uh, as an army would face a battle, or as an army would be in the midst of a battle, it's not time for infighting. Just like on Wednesday nights, we're talking about the body of Christ being like a team. No ball team, no hockey team, no, no sports team, if they're infighting, they're going to be very successful. Well, in battle, you cannot have infighting. You can't have bickering. You can't have petty disagreements, jealousies, divided loyalties. All that's got to go by the wayside because you're in war. You're in a battle. Lives are at stake. Spiritual lives. Souls of men and women, boys and girls, are at stake. So the Lord made this very clear to his own disciples. Jesus said in Mark chapter 3, verse 24, 25, and 26, these words. He said, if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. He went on to be more clear. He said, and if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And then he said this about our enemy. And if Satan rise up against himself 
and be divided. He cannot stand but hath an end. Amen. Now you and I are on the Lord's side. We're called the soldiers of the Lord. We must be united. We must be in single step one with another. Amen. And this is a truth that seems to be repeating itself. I don't know why. I'm not planning that way. It's just kind of like the Lord led me to preach in 1 Corinthians on Wednesday nights. And we've seen this. And then the devotion last night, I, knowing what I was going to preach today, I thought, wow, that's interesting that Bart's dealing with this. Amen. Right. Hey, we're on the same team. Right. We want to glorify and honor our Lord. I like what he said last night about unity, teamwork, that, you know, you can't put up a building, a wall without teamwork. You, and, and we need that throughout the whole ministry of the church. That goes to do with getting the gospel. Everybody ought to be on board. Amen. You know, our, our different ministries, we all ought to function and be in unity and accord. Notice I talked about music. Did I not? Accord. Anyway. Um, we need to be together as a team, not divided. But I want you to know the enemy wants to divide us. He wants to wreak havoc. I've observed regarding waging spiritual warfare a few things the way of unity travels through humility. Tom, you've been teaching on that in your class, haven't you? God resisteth the proud. Giveth grace to the humble. Amen. Each cannot seek their own if they want to see the group go to forward. You understand? To find the will of God, we, we stay together in, in step. Something else God has told me and showed me in his words Proverbs 13.10 said, only, only by pride cometh contention. That word contention means fight. It comes from really the word prize fighters, those that are in the ring. Only by contention, only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. I'm trying to advise you. The word of God has advised us. We're well-advised that we are in a spiritual battle and the less pride that is in our hearts and lives, the more unity, the more harmony, the more accord will be in the body of Christ. Contentions will fall off when we're not infighting, when we're not jealous of one another, when we're not going in separate directions. Amen. We stay together. The church is considered an army. And we must stay unified, number one. Number two, in spiritual warfare, there's a demand for austerity and sacrifice. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, verses 11 through 13, which we'll deal with another week, put on the whole armor of God. Can't just use the sword. Can't just have the helmet on. Can't just have the breath. The whole armor of God. God has equipped us for spiritual matter. Hey, war is a serious matter. Uh, our standing up in the faith is not a light thing. It, standing for God in the gospel demands a charge and a commitment to that charge and to our captain, Jesus Christ. Thank God for our great captain. Amen. Now, I can't stand on my own. I need the Lord's help, the strength. I need the whole armor of God. I need others around me. You know, the Roman army, they took over the world at, at that time, and they were the most mighty fighting force known to man at that time. We still look back and look at the way they, they, they warfared. 
And they, they did it with organization and training and understanding their position within that, in that army. And we'll talk about those things. But spiritual warfare, folks, I want us to understand today, is serious business. There's a level of sternness and seriousness about it. I mentioned that it demands austerity and sacrifice. The word austerity means sobriety. We need to be sober about spiritual conflict that will come to us. It's not a matter that it might, maybe we'll avoid it. No, you will not avoid spiritual warfare. It has to do with our attitudes. It has to do with our hearts being committed. Amen. Hey, we're, war we're waging warfare whether you realize it or not. And, and there will be consequences if we don't wage good warfare. Far too many believers today in their measure of faith are, are taking spiritual warfare too lightly. They're calling of God. They're taking too casually. We're in a day of casual Christianity. I mean, the, the modern day church, not just this church, but modern day church in general, we're far too casual and there's far too many casualties because of it. There are dire consequences when we don't take our spiritual responsibilities seriously. There are far too many consequences when we don't understand that we are indeed in a warfare. Hey, Satan, our great enemy, he doesn't fear the Christian that's complacent. He doesn't fear us when we're lax in our general living, much less our Bible study or reading or prayer life or or ministry, or separation, all those are important. You never see an army, you never see an army uh, disgruntled. You don't see an army infight. You don't see an army, uh, you know, ragtag. No, no. Take a look at the Marine Corps. Take a look at the armed forces. And man, they, they have a certain way of doing things, and you keep the rules. And man, when they're marching in unison, they are a awesome force. Does that represent the church today? I think not. I think not. Folks, we're in a battle. We're in a war. We need to listen. The devil doesn't fear most Christians today and most churches today because they're not doing much. It's a sideshow. It's a three-ring circus rather than a fighting machine for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I read Alexander the Great, a great conqueror from the Greeks, and many people study him and what he did in a very short period of, of life and, and leadership. But he said something I thought was interesting. Speaking of the army, he said this, I am not afraid of an army of lions led by a sheep. I'm afraid of an army of sheep led by a lion. I like that. Hey, church, we got a great and mighty lion. The Lord Jesus Christ. And he is trying to prepare us for spiritual battle. We are the sheep of his pasture. But we need to understand that we cannot take our enemy lightly. No. Too many today have the mindset that, he, that Satan is a mere myth. That he's the boogeyman. That he's a cartoon animation. No, no, no. He is a real person. He is a real force, a formidable foe, damning souls to hell, making Christians spiritually weak and soft and ineffective. 
Sad to say, that's where we're at today. Ever since the garden, he's been taking the matter of spiritual wickedness and spiritual warfare seriously. But do we? Do we in our day and time? That's why we're told in Scripture, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober. Be, that word sober has sobriety, means serious thinking. It has nothing to do with drinking. He said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Jesus says, Matthew chapter 12, verse 9, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he hath cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Notice something here. It's mentioned a lion, and Scripture mentions a dragon. Those are fierce creatures. They shouldn't be taken lightly. Satan and the devils of hell should not be discounted, laughed off, uh, brushed off, paid no mind to. No, no, no. I say to the saints, the members of this church, God's words teaching us that spiritual warfare is serious. Sometimes we're lax in that. We forget what we're engaged in. The battlefield is for the souls of men and women, boys and girls, to destroy your life as a Christian so that you are not profitable unto God and the gospel. Satan wants to destroy your marriage, your children, your church, much less what we're connected to in community and to this country that we love so much. Our, our country's in a mess. Our world's in a mess. Yes, and Satan is not giving up trying to still attack, attack, attack. The churches one day were strong, and they understood their place in spiritual warfare, but I think not today. Parkview, wake up to the fact that we are in a spiritual battle. Amen. And we need to be together in unity. We need to understand that it's serious business. Yeah. Thirdly, this morning, in spiritual war, there must be a skill in regards to our weapons. Now, I can't go to all the armor here. I'm just going to deal with a little bit here. Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 17 and 18. Ephesians 6, 17 and 18, our text. He says... Um, he says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Watch, don't leave this out. Praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication of all saints. There's weaponry mentioned here. First of all, know you're saved. You know, somebody doesn't have assurance of their salvation. They will, they will absolutely do nothing for the Lord. I've seen people that have struggled with that for years, and you know what? They're, and not to be rude or crude or hurtful, but they're absolutely zeros for God. And that's because they have no confidence. They have no assurance. They, they have no boldness because they're wondering, am I or am I not? Nail that thing down that you might be an effective soldier for Jesus Christ. Not just to calm your... It's great that you might have the comfort of knowing, yes... But we're an army. We're soldiers. We, we've got to be ready for battle. So you know that you know that you're saved. But then he mentions two important things here. He, he mentions the word of God and prayer. 
You see, any army that's going to wage good spiritual warfare, they've got to be skillful with their weapons. We must be united in our ranks as saints and soldiers. We must be serious and make sacrifice against the enemy, and we must be skilled in our weapons. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 with me, briefly. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm glad some of you, most of you I see turning your Bibles, that's wonderful. Stay with the preacher, it always helps. My, my messages, I, I hope, are helpful. Sometimes I'll tell you this is my opinion, and it's just opinion, but this is the Word of God we're reading. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Now I, Paul, myself beseech you, uh, and uh, in gentleness of Christ, who is presence uh, am a base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that ye may not be bold when I, uh, I am present uh, with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold, against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Now watch it. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. He says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We don't win spiritual battles with fleshly thinking, philosophies, ideologies, opinions. Spiritual battle comes through God's mighty word, the sword of God. Hey, prayer and the word are offensive weapons. How fervent, just a thought, Subjective, don't answer it, don't raise your hand, don't yell it out. How effective is your prayer life? Is there any prayer going on? How effective is your Bible study and reading? By the way, we need those uh, forms filled out for February. We're doing reading through the Bible, right? Through, through, together through the year. You know, the prayers that children pray sometimes... In learning prayer, now I lay me down to sleep, you know. That ain't going to get it in spiritual warfare. It's just not. When all hell attacks your heart and your mind and your home and your marriage and your, you, you know, your ministry as an individual gifted Christian, hey, now I lay me down to sleep is not going to work. You got these silly books, Campbell's Soup for the Soul, whatever. That, that's not going to help you. Not a nice little poem. You need God's Word. Oh, I know three or four of you are going to be mad about that. You'll come see me and tell me what a blessing Campbell's Soup for the Soul. I, hey, we're talking about war. Amen. There's rules and strategy in this book for spiritual warfare. And God, we need to be proficient with the use of our weapons. Amen. You know, frontier fathers, when they were out carving a, this country and making it a place that they could bring this country into uh, creation and where we stand upon today with our freedoms, frontier fathers, they taught their young men how to protect themselves 
early how to handle a weapon because you know what in that day they might run into a bear they might run into a wild animal they might be some renegade group come and cause their family harm those young men knew how to handle a weapon and the girls knew how to be women amen they handled a weapon too today we're so sissified we don't want any kids say oh don't give them a toy gun you know But here's the thing. We got Christian families, dads, mothers. They're not training their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Dave told me last night he got new Bibles for his boys. He said, preacher, they're going to come to you and want you to sign their Bible. I said, man, I feel important. But that's good. Make sure your children have a copy of the Word of God and have family devotion and explain things to them. Hey, your children should not learn spiritual truths from the Sunday school teacher in the youth department firsthand, they had to learn it for you, and then the church supplements what you've been teaching them. But if dad and mom are not in the Word, my goodness, how do we expect our children to be in the Word? Oh my. We need to be proficient in our weapons. Sword is the Word of God, our enemy will do anything and use everything in his arsenal to get you to drop your sword. Amen. He'll cast doubt on the word of God's purity and power. He'll try to point out questions and alleged contradictions. He'll bring up arguments from science and philosophy. He'll do anything to get you and I to put down that sword. That book's an amazing book you have in your hand today. It is the Word of God. Inspired, preserved for us. And in the English language, the King James Bible. Stick with that book. The enemy wants you to, to believe in all that other stuff that's questionable. And They talk about the archaic language. That's, that's nothing. You just have to use your dictionary every once in a while. As if that's a problem. I'm telling you, we have a book that has, it's, it, it's endured. But do God's people use it? We are supposed to be soldiers, and we must trust and know how to wield, swing, slash, fight with this book. Not one another. Knowing this book is not winning an argument where you work. Knowing this book is fighting satanic principalities and powers that wage war in your heart and your mind. Amen. Know your weapon, saint. I don't know we're what, January, February, going into March? I don't know. Some people not even read their Bible yet this year. Oh, we're going to be weak church if we have weak soldiers. Fourth, notice this morning, in spiritual war, a good soldier knows something else. He knows his enemy. And he knows his enemy's strategy. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Are you still with me? I just got one more point and we're done. You're going to be excited. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. The Bible says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our, our warfare is not against man. But against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Hey, listen, we have no idea. We can't comprehend 
And I don't think we ought to dwell here, but you ought to be aware that in the air, in the atmosphere that you and I cannot see, in the unknown world, the unknown realm, there's all kinds of war going on. Things that you and I cannot see. Amen. We have to understand what our enemy's up to, what his strategies are. Ephesians 6, 12, for we wrestle not against flesh, but against what? Powers. Spiritual wickedness in high places. You know, God has what is called the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy. You know, Satan always has something to try to match God. He has the satanic trinity. He's got Satan. He's got the Antichrist. He's got the false prophet. Folks, before we know it, these things we've been told about in prophecy are going to start happening. The beast, that's a collective, I think, the ten horns mentioned in the scripture has to do with, uh, you know, a, a force. You know, years ago they would talk about the, the false prophet and everybody go and talk about the seven hills and seven hills are in Rome, so therefore it must be the pope. And I think it's bigger than that. I think it's not just the pope. I think it's all headship of false religions coming together. And they're going to come together to attack to attack, not the church in the tribulation, the church is gone. To attack God's chosen people, Israel. You understand that the tribulation period is about getting the Jews to believe on their Messiah. And if you're, if you're here today and you're not saved, you need to get saved because, hey, the rapture is going to happen. And we're out of here. And all that will be left behind will go through the tribulation. But there's spiritual wickedness going on right now. And when the church leaves, the Holy Spirit leaves. And when the Holy Spirit leaves, total chaos will be in this world. It'll be like nothing that has ever been before. I don't want to be a part of that. But our loved ones, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, if they don't get saved, they're going to go through this. Such tribulation that the world has never seen before. Knowing that, we ought to be more diligent to try to bring them to Christ. But we have to understand and know our enemy's strategy. He wants to destroy. It should be no surprise to us that Satan has his principalities in high places, his minions, if you would, in Scripture. And you know what Satan has used? He's used religion. Go back to the time of Jesus Christ. In his ministry, Satan used the Jewish leaders. He used the Sanhedrin, the high priests, the priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, other religious leaders. And what were they trying to do? They were trying to kill Jesus. You know, when, when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, he bowed his head and he said, it is finished. That's the greatest victory ever. But the devils of hell, no doubt, for three days thought, they got him. They won. They defeated him. They put him to death. Oh, man, they had a party for three days. But then he rose again from the grave. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, what's that rumbling? Who's coming out of that grave? Jesus came out of that grave. Our great captain. But, you know, Satan didn't give up on his plan. He still used religion to try to trip people up, keep people from going to heaven. Amen. Peter and other church leaders, you know what happened to them right after the Lord ascended back to the Father's right hand. 
And then later, Peter, they were under spiritual warfare. The early church, they were trying to get it from starting and flourishing, but oh my, under persecution, it flourished more. Today, we are blessed from former generations' faithfulness and fighting. Nobody wants to fight for the faith anymore. Amen? Satan is the master manipulator, the deceiver. Amen? And he will use any means. And you know, he's still using what he used back then, the garb of religion to fool people. To give them an idea that they're okay. They're not okay outside of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're not saved, that's not a good thing. Come to faith. Come to Christ before he comes for the saints. But listen, I don't care how old you might be. You know, children and adults, they pass away not unexpectedly. You don't want to leave this life and not know you are saved. Oh my goodness, church, we got to be serious about spiritual warfare and trying to get souls to Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, listen to verses 13 through 15. The scripture says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Religious people can look like they're the apostles of Jesus Christ. And watch this, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no, more great, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform the, uh, as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to to their work. Hey, we live in a world today where if it's religious, people think it's of God. Not so. Religion, the garbs of religion, the gowns, the collars, the habits, the, the caps, speaking religious, wearing religious, acting pious, promoting an assemblance of lofty religion, form, ritualism, pomp, circumstance. And their hearts are full of deceit and wickedness. These are the religions of the world. Even in gospel preaching churches. There's a form of God. But denying the power thereof. That's the day we live. Right now. It's serious. Spiritual warfare. Christian. Do you understand this? Church. Do you understand this? And then. Spiritual warfare, we must not be distracted by anything. Anything. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul writes and he says, um, Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth? That's God's will. But our enemy knows that that's God's will. So the enemy is doing everything he can to stop that from happening. He'll cause Christians to get casual. To quit thinking about the souls of men and women. To stop ministry. You know, today, knocking on a door or handing someone a gospel track or street preacher, that's all considered, oh my goodness. Ineffective. Is it? Or we just, do we have ineffective Christians doing it? We need the power of God again. 
And one of, the, one, of the, one of the tools in Satan's toolbox is distraction. Any army knows it. If, I, if somebody's, if I'm, trying to, if I'm trying to wage warfare over here and I toss a rock over there, everybody's eyes are over there and they're not seeing what I'm doing over here. You know. Distraction. That's what Satan's a master at. You and I ought to know the tactics and the tricks of our enemy and be watchful and careful and alert. He says, no man that warreth entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. That's a distraction. Paul's warning Timothy, hey, don't be careful. Don't entangle yourself. Don't get yourself all wrapped up in this world. And the affairs of this world. Hey, many Christians do. Many ministers do. I've seen a lot of preachers end up not preaching anymore because they got involved more in business than they did with the business of the Lord. Right. Well, God's people can do that too. So many today are tripped up, entangled, duped, drawn away, easily taken in. And we see examples of this in the Old Testament scriptures. Remember King Rehoboam and King Jeroboam? You know what they did? They followed uh, the Babylonians. King Saul, what did he do? He got messed up with the Amalekites. Solomon, what did he do? He married heathen wives, and in doing that, they took his heart away, and he began to raise up altars and worship to unknown gods. How in the world did this happen? It happened. It devastated the kingdom. But today, God's people are being distracted with this and that. And it's all a ploy of Satan to get us not doing what we're supposed to What are we supposed to be doing? Waging spiritual warfare. Being on the offensive is so important. Oh, we live in a very carnal world today. And if we're not careful, we'll give more into it as Christians than we ought. Amen. Letting down our guard, not knowing the scriptures, not li listening to the Holy Spirit. Hey, listen, that's an important truth here. The Holy Spirit talks. He speaks. He does me. How about you? But we can so grieve him and quench him that he doesn't seem to be speaking. Because we're distracted with all that's going on in the physical world. The end result is the enemy starts winning more battles, taking more souls, causing Christian people to become more gullible. Boy, if we live in a gullible society, it is now. You know, the, word, the root word for gullible is gull, which means shallow or, or naive or unstable or carnal in thinking. And I'm afraid the church is there today. Ephesians 5.11 and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. 2 Timothy 3.6, we're told to wage war. It says, fall, many fall into the condemnation of the devil. Why? Satan will use distraction and Satan will use this. He is persistent. Persistent. They've been around a person that's persistent. That could be a positive thing. Someone just won't quit. They're persistent. No matter what happens, you knock them down, they'll get back up. 
You tell them no, they'll come knocking again, try to sell you something again. I mean, they're persistent, right? Satan, he's persistent. He'll wear you down. He'll bring wrong influence to stir you away. Worldlyism, carnality, amen. All of that. We taught our children, Proverbs 1.10, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. They're going to entice you. War demands us not to be distracted. Lastly, spiritual warfare, there is a call for courage in the midst of, uh, of, of conflict. Notice our last verse here, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand. Therefore, boy, it's time for us to stand. Stand up. Stand against. Stand firm. You know, a soldier, when he was in his uh, armor, though they were taught to stand in a position that they could not get easily knocked off their feet. The Roman army, they were taught to work as a team, again, in unison, unity. They would have shields, and those shields, they would, they would stand together. It might be a group of 50 or 100 or a legion. A legion was anywhere from three to 6,000. And they all had shields. They all had a sword. They all had the garb on. And when they had an attack, they would get in, in lines and in sequences and groups. And they would lock those shields together where nothing could get past them. And they'd get behind that. And then they would, then they would attack. They would attack, but they would defend. Get in, sometimes when the armies would surround them, they would get in a circle, those Roman soldiers. And they would get around and they'd protect each other in that group. If arrows were flying, they'd put them over their heads as a shield. They knew their weapons. They knew the power of unity. They, they knew that they could not retreat. And listen, among these armor, you don't see anything protecting the back, the rear. You know why? Because Roman soldiers didn't go backwards. They didn't run away. They went forward. They went forward. When we retreat, when we back up, when we backslide, Man, we're asking for it. Amen. Why should we retreat? My conclusion this morning, Brother Tom, if you get ready for the invitation song. I've chosen a song today that's not in your songbook. Now, don't be afraid. We're going to put it on the screen for you to see. We're not doing it so we can sing Kumbaya. We want to sing this song, but I want to tell you in conclusion about us as saints and soldiers of the cross, how our fighting is onward. Our marching is always, always onward, forward. Our war warfare is serious. We need to be confident in our weapons and confident in our leader, Jesus Christ. Never give up, never give in, never give over, never turn back. That's not the way you win spiritual battles. You go forward with the help of God and the power of God. There's a song, no doubt you know, if you'd put it up there. I have decided to follow Jesus. Ever heard that song before? Let me tell you the story of that song. 
I have decided to follow Jesus as a Christian hymn that originated in Assam, India. Well, that's something. Christians in India? It was written by Saman Marak in Johart, Assam, India. According to Dr. Pijab, the lyrics are based upon the last words of a Garo man from the tribe of Malaysia, which is then in Assam, who along with his family decided to follow Jesus in the middle of the 19th century after an American Baptist missionary witnessed to them and preached unto them Jesus. This convert to Christ was called by the village chief to renounce his new faith. And the convert declared, I have decided to follow Jesus. The result was immediate ruthlessness. They took his two children and they killed them in his presence. They told him if he did not recant, they would take his wife and kill her too. His next words were this, though no one join me, still I will follow. His wife was killed. He was taken out and executed the last words from his lips were, the world behind me, the cross before me. Gives a new meaning to a hymn that we sang a thousand times in our life. What is it about? It's about someone fighting for what they believe in. It's about somebody coming to Christ and believing Jesus was who he claimed to be. No turning back, no backing up. Even if it cost him his children, his wife, and his own life. What an example. An American hymn writer, William Jensen Reynolds, heard of this testimony, took his words and arranged this song. It was included in the 1959 Assembly Songbook. His version became the regular feature of Billy Graham's evangelistic meetings in America and elsewhere in the world. Here's the words. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. No turning back. There's other verses of the psalm, but we're going to just use a few this morning. May we do better in our commitment to Jesus Christ and the gospel. What may we understand today, again, fully and afresh, the onward always warfare. As soldiers, we must fight in spiritual warfare. Here's my question. Have you decided to follow Jesus? Is there somebody here today that needs to quit playing games? with their soul come and get born again. Preacher, I don't want to mess with this anymore. I want to settle it today. Amen. Amen. Will you come for salvation today? Will you come and submit to believer's baptism today? You've been saved and you know you ought to follow. Declare your faith in Christ and be a true follower of Jesus Christ. Not a member of a church. That's, that's secondary. 
follower of Jesus Christ? Will you decide to join the church and support us in reaching the lost, using your gifts to build up the body of Christ? Will you surrender yourself, your talents, your gifts and abilities to do the Lord's will? Will you say, I have decided to follow Jesus? Not just a song, but think where that song comes from. Amen? Let's bow our heads if we would.